What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. Today on the show, we've got Jay Davis. Everyone wishes for this. This is like everyone's goal as an entrepreneur is to have this hyper growth, but you never realize like growth, with growth comes growing pains. And those growing pains are very, very real. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview rocket scientists, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. If you like what you hear, we're also going to be releasing exclusive bonus materials like PDF checklists, reports, and presentations, but only for members of the collective. If you're interested in those, as of this recording, you can still join for free on the Ideation Collective website, which is iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. Also, before getting rolling, we want to invite you to consider helping the charity our founders started called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the United States and abroad. One of our foreign projects we're working on right now is helping to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. To learn more about that, please come to the Child Rescue section on our website, iCollective.co slash Child Rescue. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Jay, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh... I was really excited when I saw you speaking at the crowdfunding conference because like my inner art school geek was like, this guy has figured stuff out. We got to hang out with him. <laughs> um, but you originally are not a creative. You, you went to school for business, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a, a late blooming right brainer. <laughs> I always say. So making these videos like you know, the fruit ninja video with 30 million views and, and these different, uh, videos with 4 million views and a million plus views and stuff. Um, obviously it's, it's expanded into working with Virgin mobile and Ubisoft and, um, these big, big name companies talking with Disney, stuff like that. Uh, tell us about your maybe less traditional route to, to mastering virality or, <laughs> or yeah. achieving some level of understanding of, you know, how do you yeah. increase the probability that something gets shared a lot? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I probably had a very non-traditional route. Like you said, I studied business growing up. I actually wanted to be a doctor. Um, I loved science and, and math. Um, I was much more kind of like a science and math nerd than I ever was like, a an artist in, especially in high school. Um, but, but then went to business school at BYU. Um, my focus was in entrepreneurship and really just became fascinated by entrepreneurship after leaving or after graduating BYU, um, went to Vivint and, and got into product development. And that kind of is where I started getting into more of the creative side, got to work with a lot of great industrial designers. Well, uh, for, for people that don't know that success story, right? You know, they sell yeah. company number one to Blackstone for $2 billion, then they turn it and create Vivint Solar, sell that for another $2 billion. Yeah. You know, here locally for us, that's a, that's a huge success story, right? So, yeah. And now you worked directly with a VP of product development, right? Yep. Yeah. So I, I worked, I was his, uh, for a long time, his sole employee. <laughs> um, so it was really amazing to get to see that success story firsthand. I mean, Peter Thiel just, uh, invested a hundred million dollars personally in Vivint. Um, so yeah, they've really, they've really cracked the code and I, in how to get home automation into the house. Um, and, and it was amazing to see that process, that creative process of, you know, starting with security systems, uh, approaching that industry in a very unique way, rather than doing all the traditional marketing they did door to door and just went right to the customer. Um, and then a lot of the time that I was there, what I was focusing on was how do we get customers to actually, uh, use the system more often because security is one of those things like you never really need it until you need it. 
Um, so the most common complaint we had was, hey, I don't really use this that much because I haven't been robbed in five years. Um, <laughs> and so people started saying, well, what do I need this for? And so that's where the, the whole push and, and Todd Peterson, the founder CEO, was such a visionary and seeing like, where is the industry going? How do we get there? Um, so it's amazing to see his thought process. Uh, and I really admire him as an entrepreneur of kind of what is his strength at seeing where things are going and getting there ahead of everyone else and using the strengths of Vivint to get there uh, with their ability just to get into pe- in front of people and talk to people directly. Um, so I'm a such a huge thing. fan of their move towards stuff like solar where yeah. it's it's inherently valuable. I mean, if you can produce yeah. your own electricity cheaper than Sun Edison in California can get it to you, right? Yeah. There's like a... It's, it's not a sales pitch different. It's like a literal structural advantage, right? Yeah. And that, and that was like the big question we were given was how do you, how do you create a product that's more sticky that, that, that consumers are saying, like, I can't live without this because our customers with the security system were not usually saying that unless they had a fire or they had a flood or had a, a break-in. Then they were like, man, I'll never live again without one of these. But your average customer you know, how do we make it more sticky? So we started adding things like locks and I got to work with quick set. Um, and I got to work with, that's so uh, funny. I used to work for quick set. The, oh, it's no a, yeah. It's a black and Decker company. Yeah. But I yeah. literally worked in there uh, <laughs> like Laguna Niguel headquarters down in Southern California. No way. Yeah. In between, uh, in between businesses, I <laughs> right before I quit, quit, quick set to start my <laughs> sales training company. That is incredible. Small world. Um, yeah, I actually I don't think I ever went to that. <laughs> it's insane. So, yeah, I got to see kind of like what's what are the different um, ways to create this product that people really wanted. So we added video. We added, um, you know, home, other home automation like lights. Um, and the point was that like switches. they could unlock their door with their iPhone or something, right? Yeah. Yep. And that was really it. And that's something that people do every day. You know, I still like – when we're coming home from vacation and we're driving, uh, you know, back from, from St. George or wherever I have my wife go on her phone and we turn the heat back up and, and we turn all the lights on so that when we show up, it's like, um, you know, you're not in a cold house. And, you know, I, while we're on vacation, I check my phone and, and look at my video cameras and just make sure everything's okay at the house, make sure nothing's happened. So it, it, it I personally saw that shift from something I never used or, or never really thought about, even when I was arming it, to something I was using every day. Like, you know, neighbor needs something. Oh, I'll, I'll unlock the, the garage door, the back door, and you can just go in and grab it. And then as soon as you leave, I can see on video and I will lock the door again. Um, and so it was really amazing to see how do you develop that? How do you create great products? Um, and I just learned so much while I was there. It was such like a great crash course and also how do businesses work you know yeah, didn't you tell me you learned about how do you get uh, how do you get senior executives to sign off on stuff like that yeah. bureaucracy <laughs> process that was a very good lesson um how do you you know pitch them on ideas uh how do you protect your own ideas that was something that was often hard because if you had a good idea and you just kind of started telling people about it other people are going to take it um and so it's kind of like how do you negotiate big business politics and you know some of those things but um but yeah getting executives to sign off on new ideas new projects um how do you tell executives that you know you think there's a better way to do something or a a better approach to a certain product so it was it was seriously just such a great crash course uh really great people um and i think the other big thing i saw was i saw this company that was growing exponentially and you don't get a lot have a lot of those experiences I think in business where you're seeing a company go from, you know, when I first started there, I don't remember exactly, but, you know, I think a thousand or 2000 employees. And when I left like five, 6,000 employees, um, and going from a hundred million in revenue to almost 400 million in revenue in over the course of three or four years. So it was amazing to see how do you grow something? How do you hire the right team? Um, how do you manage that hyper growth and, and not lose the culture and not lose a lot of like who you are. Um, so it was kind of like almost my introduction, like, Hey, here's a great introduction. And, and as I then went on to startups, 
I was often the person who was saying, well, here are the organizations we need to have. Here's how we create culture um, or the right culture. Here's the people that, that should be here because a lot of the, the people I worked with had only worked in startups and had never gotten past the six or seven employee point, you know? Um, and so they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know what are even divisions or organizations that we need to have within the company. Um, so it was a really great, great experience. Um, and then after that, I left to join a startup, um, and joined, uh, the color run is the third employee. And, um, yeah, so let's talk about this because these guys, you know, maybe not everybody will know them, but talk about taking the world by storm. Right. Yeah. Like you were telling me you guys, when you first got there, it was like, <laughs> you know, you three employees in the 10 by 10 office and they'd only done that very first race. Is that right? And, and we hadn't even done a first race. So we were still like four or five weeks out from our first event when I started. Um, we hadn't done any events. Um, there, a promo video had been filmed at the Holly festival. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there was like, it was, it was seriously those, I remember vividly after the first event, like going off into the corner to kind of like hyperventilate because I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like, I think I'm going to be looking for a job in <laughs> okay. a week. And so, and how long was it from that period to being the largest event company in the world by numbers of participants? Like 18 months. Um, so yeah, like 18 <laughs> months from like no one had ever even heard of the color run or knew what it was. And they were the very first people to come up with that concept to the largest event company by participants in the world. And for uh, people who don't know, tell us what the color aspect is. Yeah, so it's essentially a 5K where, where every kilometer you have uh, holly uh, from India, this holly powder. It's cornstarch, colored cornstarch that you throw on people and it creates this like tie-dye look on your skin. Um, and, and since then it's actually like, I think almost from like a cultural standpoint, it's become very popular to use in videos, you know, Toyota has done commercials where they faked their own color run and, and showed people running and getting this powder thrown on. So, so for the past four years, it's become kind of this cultural phenomenon, uh, that really started with the color run. Um, you know, he, the founder had this idea of what if you combined, uh, this color that you can get at the Holly Festival or, or other places, and you combined that with a 5K. Um, and it was a genius idea. I mean, it was, really was. It was it was amazing to see from going from business school where it's kind of like, oh, ideas are a dime a dozen to, to all of a sudden seeing like, well, this idea is not a dime, you know, dime per dozen type idea. Like, that was a genius idea that really – took the world over by storm and within six months we were having discussions with Chevy and Chevy came on as the main sponsor. Like it was incredible uh, to see and and to see a company go from, you know, hundred thousand dollars in revenue to tens of millions of dollars in revenue over five, six months. Um, And, and that was, again, that was like, Vivint was like, how do you grow a company four X in, in four years? And Color Run was like, how do you grow a company 10,000x in six months? Like, we were hiring people as fast as we possibly could. And, and it's like, how do you go from a, pers- a company with four people to a company with 150 people over eight, nine months? And it, I mean, it was insane. It was a lesson I don't think anyone really, you know, like you, you hear Zenefits went from made a million dollars in their first year. Um, and, and, the scale there is definitely bigger, but Color Run was doing tens of millions, you know, in their first seven months. Yeah. So it was it was just unreal to see that hyper growth, and and it was largely uh, fueled by both the great idea, and then we added fuel to the fire using viral marketing and viral yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. Let's so, talk about that. So um, talk that's about where we this- <laughs> started to see like, you know, you can't use viral with everything. You can't. Yeah. Well, l- let's talk about that. So, um, this very purposeful move into video. Okay. <laughs> tell us about <laughs> your offer to get to be the video yeah. guy. Yeah. So, so it kind of came up like, hey, we're gonna start having these events. Uh, we should probably film some of them. Um, you know, does anybody know how to do that? And and everyone was like, everyone else said no, and I was like, well, I know a bunch of video guys. 
from Vivint and from some other places. So I, I'll do it. Like I, I would be more than happy to do it. Um, and so I kind of just volunteered myself and I was like, okay, like go ahead. Um, and so it was just like a total crash course. Like the first event I hired a helicopter, like a real helicopter to come and shoot it because drones were just starting to like have, uh, kind of get into the, the space, but hadn't really taken off yet. So I had to hire a real helicopter and, um, hired a bunch of video guys and we started capturing footage. And then at our, our third race that year, Las Vegas, we filmed a video and, and launched it and it went viral. Um, we used kind of the footage from all the, the first three races. And is, and that, is that where you met the Imagine Dragon guys? Yes. Yeah. So at, at Las Vegas, uh, my videographer knew Imagine Dragons, uh, had heard of them and seen them in Provo um, and was able to meet them and talk to them about I'm on top of the world, uh, which we ended up using for that uh, for that video, um, which was, again, another crash course and just kind of like and, and that's probably like a theme of my career of like no one's telling me how to do this. Uh, go figure out how to license a song with with, you know, huge <laughs> Columbia records in L.A. Yeah. And like. Just go do it. <laughs> Figure now, it out. It's it's funny hearing this from yours. You know, we just had their one of their managers, Dalen Bauman, who's uh, been with them on on the show. And uh, so it's funny hearing you talk about, you know, this was before it had hit and, you know, having to negotiate that. And then now what's turned into, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's kind of that uh, you see, again, the power of 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 great ideas and really talented people, um, doing great creative work. And, and it's been awesome to see that, that success story. And I, and it is really fun to see the people who ha- have made it and who've just gone out and gotten it done. Um, do, do you so. have any advice? Like, I'm just thinking about, you know, the rest of us who might be starting another business right now, or maybe we're an entrepreneur inside a company, you know, trying to innovate something who want yeah. to work with an up and coming band. Any advice for do's and don'ts of like, I want to get somebody awesome on my video, but I can, you know, I can only afford the up and comers, but how do I even get to them? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know if you uh, know David Peterson. Um, he he started Can't Stop, Won't Stop. He's done most of the music for Devin Supertramp. Um, but he, he has started a, a startup that helps connect video makers with, uh, with up and coming bands and, and kind of the principle that I've seen there is, you know, bands want to get out there and they want people to hear their music. And so if you can make it mutually beneficial, um, in doing the color run, that was the only video I licensed really a big band, uh, or even a band that was signed. And most of the other people, it was kind of going to them and saying, Hey, I want to use your song. What's a way that we make this work for both of us? Um, and you know, it's kind of cliche, the whole win-win, but it was really important to see like, Hey, if I can give you some money, um, that's great. We get you some pay, but let's also like, it doesn't hurt me in any way to put, uh, your song and in, in the iTunes link and all those things. Um, and so that's something I've always pushed for in working with clients. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of big, companies they don't want to like list everybody who worked on the video or they don't want to list who the music is by and i'm like why not um and and kind of going to bat for them so i think that's something that it's kind of understanding what is their end goal their end goal when they're starting is to be heard and for people to know who they are um so if you're a videographer really fighting for that and really fighting with the client of like putting them in the description does no harm uh, and honestly, it'll save you questions because every time I've ever done a YouTube video, even when we post who wrote the song, we get a thousand comments of like, who wrote this song? It's like, it's in the comment or it's in the description. Just go read it. Uh, so it's, it's, I think that's kind of the key point is find something that, that works for both groups and, and fight for that band to get some recognition. So, well, we'll, we'll have to get a, a link to David Peterson's stuff and um, put it on yeah. your page on the show notes here for Ideation Collective. Come look at Jay's, yep. come look at Jay's page. We'll have a link for, for David Peterson. Um, you know, I know it's a super novel idea, but <laughs> your idea of just ask them, you know, like yeah. what's, what's a win for you? It's interesting how often the things that 
maybe don't cost any money, like, you know, publicly acknowledging them, listing them. Yeah. How that yeah. can actually be more important than the, however many dollars you are going to offer them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least doubles the value they can receive from you and makes it that much more inviting, huh? Yeah. And, and it is amazing. I think that's another thing I've really learned even outside of music is how often I, I work with or collaborate with people who initially I just reach out to and say, I am a huge fan of your work, like great job. Thanks for creating great content. Let's stay connected. Um, or making a good introduction for them and, and not going into it with like, Hey, I need something from you. Um, scratch their back first. Yeah. Or going in and saying, Hey, like we're, we're creating this video. Like, I'd like to pay you because I have the budget, but also I want to like give you a shout out. And, you know, it's amazing later you then find out that person you talked to was Imagine Dragons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now they're huge. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's such a karma really does come back to you and, and people return the favor. So, well, and so thinking about Color Run, um, when you observe that, I mean, being the third guy in the 10 by 10 booth to like, do you, do you know any numbers on how many participants it ended up getting into like overall? Yeah. So I think the past couple of years, like their biggest year was like 1.5 million. Um, yeah. So the first year was 600,000. The second was 1.2. Uh, I believe the third was 1.5. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're like passing, three, three and a half million people who have now gone through the color run, not to mention, I mean, within weeks of having our first event, there were copycats, you know, there were yeah. tons of people, everyone and their mom was starting a color 5k. Um, and they all copied the exact same. I mean, some people even copied the copy off of our website. Um, and, and so it was just crazy from that perspective as well. Um, to see when you total up what Color Run has done and then all the copycats. I mean, it's, I would guess north of 10 million people um, have done this event that four years ago no one had ever even heard of. Yeah. Um, and well, so it was, it, it was incredible to see that growth. Yeah, what I want to ask you is like, you know, when it's you or maybe you and a couple staff starting a company, like you wish for these problems of growth. But yeah. Um, when you think about just rapid growth, I mean, everybody would like to be as picky as Jeff Bezos was when he was starting Amazon and like turning down 50 applicants for their yeah. unpaid interns, right? But yeah. when you just like physically need a warm body to to like <laughs> help cope with the customer growth yeah, um, and all the problems of like losing company culture and nobody knows how to do something and stuff like that, any advice that you'd have for people of like, if things do start to go really well, uh, here's something you should, you know, here's something that I wouldn't have known had I not seen some of the problems that come with growth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, it was interesting. The, the founder of the color run said something like so profound. Um, and it may not sound profound to people who weren't in that, that experience, but he said, like, you know, everyone wishes for this. This is like everyone's goal as an entrepreneur is to have this hyper growth. But you never realize, like, growth with growth comes growing pains. And those growing pains are very, very real. And so it was interesting seeing, like, that had always been my goal. Like, I want to be part of, an, of a startup that just explodes. And then you get in it and it's like, oh, there's, like, real, you know, like, there were 40 days I didn't see my family uh, straight. And so like you don't think of those things. And so I think kind of the big takeaways were um, bring on the right people. Like even if it takes a couple extra days, even if uh, it takes a couple extra weeks, like it may feel like we have to have someone tomorrow. But in reality, if you choose the wrong person, like you're going to be suffering for, for a long time. Um, I think the other big thing that I saw was like, beware of, of people who are just trying to come in and take advantage. Uh, there were a, a lot of that with color run. So, you know, so once, give an example of how explode. to sniff that out. Like it's one thing to say that, but what's like something practical of like, how would you, is it just the sense you got talking to them? Like what, what would you, how, how does somebody 
Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of, yeah. Um, you know, I think some of the big things were like, we hired people who would just show up to events. Um, you know, there was one guy who just showed up at an event and was like, I want to work for you. Um, and three weeks later was somehow the COO of the company. And as you kind of looked through his, his work history, it was like, you've, you kind of jump from thing to thing. Like, um, you know, there was just kind of, and that's, what's hard about it. It was almost kind of like a, just an emotion of like, I don't feel, I, I feel like there's something missing here. There's something shady. Um, immediately started creating drama. I think that's like a big clue to that, you know, like, uh, started like kind of turning people against each other. And so, um, I think so much of running a startup is, is managing that and managing, not forgetting that like your product is, is the company. And so you have to manage people, um, and make sure that anyone who's poison is, is, you know, kind of taken out or, or leaves, um, quickly. And, and I've seen that with other startups that, that we've helped to grow extremely fast is, if you have a person, don't wait, don't postpone, uh, you know, someone who's lazy. Don't just say like, Ooh, it'll solve itself. It never solves itself. But, but Jay, so. what if I want everybody to think I'm the nice boss? If I oh, go firing people, I might lose my, yeah. my little label as the nice boss. Yeah. If you want to be the nice boss, you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur. That's probably like, if you, if you struggle with pleasing people, um, it's it's really hard and that's i think i think most entrepreneurs will tell you that like you just have to be uh ruthless and also you know in, in a lot of ways like people always say this to me they always say man people on shark tank the the sharks on shark tank are so mean you know they tell people their ideas suck and it's like that's actually the nicest thing they could do for that person because the idea really does suck it's a terrible idea and so that person might spend five years wasting their time on a terrible idea and what the sharks are saying is like hey that's a terrible idea go do something else you seem like a talented person go find a good idea yeah no um, certainly there's ways to go about it that are respectful or not yeah right yeah but um yeah. i just think about how many mistakes i've made of like oh let's give them a little more time maybe they'll turn it around when like yeah. in in our guts well, you know in the leadership we like we know that's such not, an unlikely thing right yeah. but it's yeah um, well, and any other, like, um, just mistakes that you saw that now, you know, Hey, like we wouldn't have, you know, not to blame people that this happened, but now that I know that, you know, yeah. I can watch out for it in the future. Yeah. And that, and that was really what, what I think as I matured and got older, uh, especially color run, it was my first big startup and I kind of was like, Oh, we need to do this, 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 and this. And you realize how hard it is. Like, it's not easy. Uh, as I w transitioned from Color Run and then I later went on to do my own stuff, and I saw almost myself and my employees saying, like, why doesn't he do this, this, and this? It was like, well, because it's hard. Like, it's not – It's no one wrote a book on how to do this, it, this exact startup. Like, no one's been through this exact experience, and so I'm going to make mistakes. And so I think I've become uh, – I've realized, like, people are human, and so I've, I've – realize that and learn that lesson. But I think, like you said, learning from those mistakes and not reliving them. Um, and, and kind of the other big one was um, hiring really talented people and then trusting them to do the job. Um, you know, with, with Color Run and, and with other ones, often the people at the top become the bottleneck um, and are slowing people down. Um, and also I saw that like initially our first round of hires and I was like definitely one of the people pushing for this was we just started hiring interns. We were like, let's just hire a bunch of interns. The problem with interns is whether they want to admit it or not, they don't really know that much. Um, and so you end up spending a ton of time, not only helping them get acclimated to the business, but telling them what they should be doing. And so they were constantly coming with like, well, what should I be doing next? And it was like, we could have gotten rid of 10 interns and replaced them with one talented person who, who had, you know, a decade of experience. Yeah, you're either going to pay with them. Yeah. You're going to pay with dollars or pay less. with time, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and in reality, often it was more expensive because 10 interns 
you know, paying them even 10, 12 bucks an hour is the same as going and hiring like a really talented marketing person who knows, who doesn't have to be told what to do each day. They yeah. just know they can take it over. So, well, and let's talk about video again for one second. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm a video nerd. I, I wish I knew as much about video as you. Thinking about this approaching, like I'm thinking about your one be a color runner, you know, it got 6 million views, right? Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about your mindset or your, your approach, why you chose what you did of like, instead of telling people this is a fun event, showing the smiles or slow motion or the different camera tech, tech that you used or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that was something actually I learned at Vivint. Uh, Vivint was amazing in their, their kind of vision in using video to tell stories. Um, and that's another thing I really respect about Todd is Vivint was, I, I now realize this is weird, but we had 10 in-house video guys who just made videos all the time. Uh, Vivint had like their own in-house web series going uh, about the company culture and kind of poking fun at it. And I thought like, oh, that's pretty normal. And then you like talk to other companies, you're like, oh, that's not normal. Like you don't have your own like funny web series about the company culture. Um, and you don't, and, and they were just very like customer testimonials uh, showing uh, the, the benefits of their, uh, especially home automation with video. Um, and so they just really invested heavily into telling stories visually. And then going to Color Run, Color Run is like the ideal video uh, opportunity because it's such a visual event, you know, like you can describe, you know, we had 30,000 people throwing chalk into the air at our last event. Uh, it was really amazing. It was an amazing sight to see, or you can show what that looks like. Well, and, and when you say chalk, I'm thinking of like the kind of stuff I used to write on the blackboard with, not this like fluorescent stuff that looks like it's glowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And there's 10 different colors and that exactly like even in describing it in words, People are like, well, what do you mean by chalk? And then you show them the video, you're like, oh, wow. Like 10,000 people throwing colored cornstarch into the air that creates this amazing cloud. It's just, it's indescribable with, with, with words. And so, um, you know, at the conference, someone mentioned a, a, a picture is really worth 7,000 words. And, and every picture you add to that video, you're just telling so much. And and nowadays, people don't want to go in and read. They want to go to your website, click a video, and watch. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's incredible. Um, and so the whole idea was, let, let's create, like, these two, two-and-a-half-minute videos that are almost like music videos to sh show and describe what the event is like. Um, and so then it came down to, like, how do you make that viral? How do you make it something that people want to share? And really the way to do that was to create this emotion of unexpectedness. I'm like, so glad you're going here. This is my yeah. this is a subject that I really want to focus on. Of yeah. Everybody talks it's, about all these things when it could really be so narrowed down to what you're talking about now. Exactly. And that and that's what I learned very quickly. Um, and at the time I was kind of doing it without knowing why. And then as I read uh Jonah Berger and um you know, watched a bunch of videos with like, there's actually a person at YouTube whose job is understanding virality. Um, and he gave an amazing Ted talk about the three components of virality, but the most important one, you know, the other ones are more technical. It's understanding how YouTube works and how to work with influencers. But, but the creative piece is really the unexpectedness and it, it all comes into how do you design the video? How do you create the video? Um, and that's that was always my focus. Like, I'm not going to just throw in a cool slow motion technique just to throw it in. I'm going to do it to create this uh, this super unexpected feeling of like I didn't think they were going to go there. And so, in in be a color runner, like we did things, we did it, we built our own GoPro array so that like as we were running through the powder and other people were running through the powder, we could do like that matrix effect where we went around them and the powder is suspended in midair. So, and tell people what you mean by an array so for, for folks that yeah. don't know what that is. Yeah. So a GoPro array is basically where you take uh, a pole and you put like 25 GoPros on it that are all synced. Their images are all aligned uh, so that you can blend from one to another. Um, and so you can jump from one GoPro to another and you kind of jump through the succession. You create that matrix effect 
where you're rotating around a subject in slow motion uh, and creating this feeling like you've stopped time. And we'll, uh, we're going to put this up. We're going to post this video on your page on Ideation yeah. Collective so people can see it. Um, much easier to see. <laughs> yeah. <not> to <laughs> it. And, and by the way, we'll post, you know, that, that Ted talk about virality from the YouTube guy and, uh, Jonah Berger's book contagious. We'll put the link to that. So if anybody's, yeah. you know, driving to work and wants to see this stuff, just come to Jay's page. Um, you know, so it, we go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, so like another thing we did, we, we wanted to create this feeling of like, what is this, what is the excitement? And so another, um, effect we used was we took a slow motion camera that was a phantom and we drove it at 70 miles an hour past the color run zone or the color throwing zone as people are getting powder thrown on them. And it created this, again, this effect, uh, where we could like go quickly through this, this color area where people are all getting hit with powder and we could see it as if it was frozen in time. And so people are in midair and powder is flying through the air in midair. Um, and it created that, um, that feeling of, uh, just the excitement and capturing the, the people's faces. And so, using that effect to, to kind of create that unexpectedness of like, how did they even film this? Like, how is this yeah, even yeah. possible? Like how many, how many frames per second would you do that? Cause I'm hearing 70 miles an hour. I'm going, that's pretty quick, right? Yeah. So 70 miles an hour, and then you combine that with either a thousand frames per second or 1500 frames per second. And the speed of the car then multiplies really the effect by going so fast that you really do, you catch like, a hundred foot section of people getting hit with powder and it feels like it's frozen in time. And uh, for know, people who like don't know through. their average camera, you know, if they're taking, if they're taking video on their iPhone or, or, you know, a DSLR, they're what at a 28 frame rate, typically 30. Yeah. Yeah. 30, uh, you know, iPhone has now 120 and 240 in a lower resolution. You know, we're shooting a 1500 frames per second in 4k. Uh, so so, you know, kind of the highest resolution at the time, uh, back in 2012. So, um, yeah, really allowed us to create an effect that you're not going to see unless you're using Hollywood grade, uh, cameras and, and things like that. So, well, and that's that point uh, of now you're going, you know, you're filming at 50 times slower than regular, right? So you yeah. can go fast and it's still fine. Yep. Yeah. And so again, all of that was coming back to, you know, how do you create this emotion where people watch this video and, and they leave or finish the video saying like, I was not expecting that, that kind of blew my mind. How did they do that? But also just like capturing the excitement of the event. And, and, you know, at the time, 5Ks were typically either come run a timed 5K or uh, mud runs were getting really popular at that point. They'd been around for a couple of years. And so we kind of did everything contrasting to that and tried to highlight that contrast of most 5Ks are either boring or they're muddy and dirty. And this is like dirty, but in a different way. It's like colorful dirty. Um, and you see all these people Attractive. with color all yeah. over their face. And yeah, and, and so it was like kind of flipping everything that was expected of 5Ks on its head to really capture that unexpectedness. And and that's what gets people to share it you know, because they, they feel like I just saw something that I've never seen before. I'm going to share it with people for the social credibility of sharing. So, But it makes so much sense. You know, there's this uh, author that I – one of my favorite marketing authors. I mean there's a lot of great modern authors, but a uh, guy named Jack Trout wrote books like Positioning like 25 or 30 years ago that still stand up with oh, yeah. the best marketing books today, right? Um, oh, totally. But I love his book. I want to say it's from the, the mid '90s, uh, called "Differentiate or Die." Maybe the end of the '90s. And he talks about like, hey, the card, yep. the cardinal yep. sin is blending in. The cardinal sin is being like the other guys. I mean, how much YouTube content yep. is uploaded every day, right? And yeah, it's the unexpected that makes somebody want to share. Of like, hey, you, the video starts. You think, oh, it's going to be in this kind of genre. And then they hit you with stuff that you totally didn't see coming. And then you're like, you know, you're email, I'm emailing it to my brother yeah. or like, yep. you know, I'm thinking of, well, um, let's talk, let's talk about the fruit ninja video, for instance. So, yeah. uh, so you help start, so you, you, you're done with color run yet. You, you help start DW. Um, and tell us who Scott is. 
Yeah, so Scott Wynn actually um, was someone I met through another videographer and uh, hired him to go with me to do the Be, Be a Color Runner shoot, actually. And uh, ended up, we were all supposed to be on the same plane, and it ended up me and Scott were on the plane to LA all by ourselves, and everyone else came uh, on a different airline. And we sat next to each other and just like immediately it was like hit it off. Uh, you know, we loved hip hop. We loved video. We loved doing cool, unique things. Scott was finishing up a web series that was just sounded so awesome and, and was really unique and different um, and just really kind of like almost like we'd been friends forever. And so that whole that whole uh, shoot, we just really kind of creatively hit it off and and really worked well together. And, and I loved that, you know, a lot of video guys were like, oh, I don't know uh, if we can do that. And Scott was just like, let's just figure it out. Let's just do it. <laughs> um, and so it was just really fun to work with. And so in working with him on that video and then um, having him, we, we started doing some other stuff for Color Run. And he eventually, when I left, he ended up taking over uh, kind of video production for Color Run. Um, but when I left Color Run, I said, hey, let's let's do something. We'd ta been talking about it kind of before, like, we should do some videos together. And when I left, we said, you know, let's stop talking. Let's just do it. And so we said, what can, what's some things that we can film very quickly? And so we started coming up with ideas. And the first idea we had was, like, what if we threw kittens in the air in slow motion? Um, and <laughs> For all the animal was, rights people. <laughs> Somebody yeah. was. Yeah. And oh, we got so much freaking flack on that video. It was it was incredible. But really, we only had to like they were dropping like a foot, um, and we you know the animals were fine, and uh, we ended up having to like post a response and and all this thing. But it ended up being fine. But again, it's like you have to be willing to kind of break that rule of of going outside what people would normally think. And then we said, as we filmed it, we were like, what if we put this to dubstep? Like, what if it was like kittens flying through the air with dubstep and it was like dubstep was so big right then and it was combining these very very popular things like kittens of course are huge on youtube dubstep's huge on youtube let's combine them and then add the combination rap. is unique right it's unexpected yes. yeah and yeah and, and it's i want to interrupt for just one second because yeah i remember when you were telling me about this idea for when you guys were getting this started and like tapping the inner artist of like, Hey, we're not doing this to get rich at this point. We're doing this to yeah. crack the code. Like yep. talk, talk a little bit more about this, like doing purely creative for creative to like, know that you've cracked the code on how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So in doing that, this project and in talking about creating the YouTube channel, that was like the whole goal. The goal was not like, Hey, can we create a huge multi-million dollar company or can we create a new startup? It was like, can we like the the goal that Scott and I set was like, can we create a video that we don't spend any like we don't get funding from a client, we just use our own money and then launch it on our own personal Facebooks and get it to go viral? Like that was kind of like the goal that we the had. Test, huh? Yeah, the test. Like we're not gonna boost it, we're not gonna use any of the other things we know how to do, uh, you know, all the tricks of the trade. We're not gonna do any of that. Can we create a purely uh, you know, kind of just a viral video, like that when someone shares it, every one of their friends shares it too. Um, and that was the goal with the first video. And so it wasn't, there was no commercial aspect, <laughs> which was so fun. Like as a creator, it was like, let's just go create for the pure love of creating. And yet uh, you think about like the business credibility of that video now has five and a half million views, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and what, I mean, what's, you think about the world of YouTube, how many of them really have over 5 million views like that? This is an elite club. Yeah. So to give you like, I don't know how old this is, but to give you a little bit of perspective, YouTube once, I think it was in the past year or two said that, um, only 1% of videos on YouTube passed the 10,000 view mark. Okay. Uh, so to then think how many videos, you know, and you're talking about whatever it is like, 10 years worth of footage is posted every hour or whatever. Um, you know, it's an insane figure. And so you think about the number of videos that pass the hundred thousand mark. It's, it's pretty rare million mark. And then like five, 
uh, and above, like you're in, you're in a pretty unique class, especially when you look at things that are created by creators and not looking at like trailers or music yeah, yeah. videos that have a hundred million dollar budget or whatever the budget is, you know, yep. like Avengers trailer. Yeah. That's going to get tons of views, but, uh, two guys who spent a hundred bucks and shot a video of kittens flying in a park, get 5 million views is pretty good. So, okay. So uh, let, let's talk about fruit ninja. Where did this idea come from? Like who, who thought yes. it up? Where'd you, how did, how did it progress from like, you want to hear a stupid idea to 30 million views? Yeah. Uh, so we, we were working with a guy who, um, you know, was like, Hey, I want to help. And he was like, I have this idea for this video. And he sent us this kid, um, who, who would shoot videos. He was like a self-proclaimed ninja. Uh, and he would shoot these videos in front of his garage of him, like using swords. Like you can look this up on YouTube. It's hilarious. And he like cuts water bottles with swords. And so he was like super awkward and, and like very much taking it seriously. And so we're like, we should do a video with him. And that's what this friend of ours suggested. And so as Scott and I talked about it, we're like, ah, he's probably going to be offended because like we're trying to create this video that's kind of like joking about it. And then as we talked, the idea just came out of like, what if we made a video where we did like Fruit Ninja? Like that, that <laughs> like game. Like the stupid video popular. game. Yeah. Like the, that game had been super popular a couple of years ago before this. And we're like, what if we like remade that? Um, and, and made it in real life. And so it was actually funny as we then did the research, the Fruit Ninja game actually has a character you're playing as, and he is a big fat dude wearing that yellow smock. And like when we created the video, everyone was like, who is this guy? And it's like, that's actually who the, the video game company says you're playing as, and no one has known this for three years. <laughs> um, it's like this big guy who likes fruit and he cuts fruit. And so... I then started calling Halfbrick uh, Studios, who made the game in Australia, uh, and kept just calling them and <laughs> asking if they wanted to fund this crazy idea. And um, eventually, the CMO—I actually remember like exactly where I was. I was—I had a meeting in St. George, Utah, and I was driving back at like 9:30 at night. And he called—I get this like call from Australia, and I was like, "Holy crap, it's that guy." Um, and so he called me and we talked and just like, he loved the idea and was like, Hey, I'll give you, you know, it was a pretty small budget, but like, I'll give you this money and let's see if it does anything. And so then we kind of came up with Scott and I kept developing the idea of like, what if it's telling this origin story of, <laughs> of uh, I love how you're like hamming it up. Right. Yeah. But, totally. but again, like, back to Jack Trout of like, take something that's already in the customer mind and tweak it right yeah. and and stand yep. out and don't blend in of fruit yeah. ninjas already in the mind dubstep you know again the dubstep thing was so big right yep. then but the combination is unique and then you're hamming it up with the origin story yeah right? yeah it's like making batman begins about the fruit ninja character like it's ridiculous but that's actually ironically when i was doing entrepreneurship at BYU I worked for a professor of strategy there who, who was a genius. And he, he was like, hey, I want to do research on how do you create good ideas that are good enough to get, people, get people's attention, to either get them to switch from another product or just get their attention. And what I found in reading Jack Trout and a lot of these other people was you take things that are already there, you're, you take existing ideas, but you combine them in a new way. Novel. So it's not necessarily about creating a new idea. It's about a new combination of, of existing ideas. And so that was kind of what we did with each of these videos was you create a new combination that's really unexpected. And so we said, what if we did an origin story about the Fruit Ninja guy who no one knows about uh, using Fruit Ninja the game and putting it in real life? We've always played it digitally, but what if, what if this was like really some guy's goal was to become like the Fruit Ninja? And he did all this training and went through it. And so um, and then always combining that with Scott creating a song uh, that, you know, if you watch Fruit Ninja in real life, like that song's talking about the Fruit Ninja. And so it's like <laughs> this super serious uh, rap song about Fruit Ninja. <laughs> but the guy doesn't look anything like your, uh, your normal conception of a ninja, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like there was the Easter egg of like, uh, this is actually who they drew the character back in 2009. The character was, there was going to be a character you saw a lot more. 
Um, and, and so it was just, it was really kind of that perfect blend. Um, and so again, we, you know, at this point we were working with a couple different groups who helped us get it out there. And, you know, Patrick was like super excited with it. And they were awesome. Cause they were like, we don't want this to be a commercial. Like, uh, the difficulty a lot of times with YouTube is you, if you make it too commercialized, um, it, it loses the unexpectedness because then people feel like they're being advertised to. And so they said, all we want you to do is put a link in the description to the game. Um, and, and they were kind of like, Hey, this is super fun. We think this is a cool idea, but like Fruit Ninja is kind of dead. Like our, we have a new game um, and they had a couple new games out um, that they were really focusing on. And so that's kind of, they were like, well, if you can maybe resurrect it a little bit and bring it back a little bit, that's great. But this isn't our marketing focus. You know, we're going to do some things for Christmas. So we, we did that. We launched it two weeks before Christmas and I mean, launched it and it just went insane. Like, I mean, it was again, and that's, that's the, kind of the feeling that keeps drawing me back to virality is that emotion when you open the video and every time you hit refresh, it's like another hundred thousand views and you're like, holy crap, this is, this is going crazy. Um, so within <laughs> so, weeks, it had 20 million views and it was free ninja was number one on the app store and stayed there for like two months. And so, you know, we felt good cause half Rick made their money back and then some times 10,000 and, uh, we were able to create a, another viral hit. So, so for people who are saying, yeah, but I don't have a crazy video game or I'm not throwing colored chalk at people. When, when you think about principles that can be brought to any entrepreneur who's making a video, trying to attract people to yeah. their service, their product or whatever. Um, can you just talk, maybe just pick, um, a way to think about unexpectedness for them of, Hey, they're approaching something and it's not, it's not maybe screaming to them in the face of what's unexpected, like any like exercises or, I mean, I know you're a fan of the book where good ideas come from and like, yeah bumping into other ideas like what any, any like well just advice on how they can discover something unexpected about themselves to put in their own video yeah um i think a lot of it there's kind of two different ways i look at it i personally as more of like a serial entrepreneur use it in in trying to decide what i want to do next um and so i use it to try and decide like what's a good idea um, so I think that's something like, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs are like, Hey, I have this idea. I have this idea. I personally would choose the idea that's more unexpected, um, because I think it's going to be easier to market and it's going to be easier to, to get some eyeballs on. Um, if you already have a product, you're in a different place. And so I think the big, um, you know, whatever your product is, I would definitely recommend going and reading contagious. Um, but he talks about how, you know, a lot of times people are able to create an unexpected either offering, um, you know, restaurants have done this a lot. Like he, he cites the, I think it's the, the $150 Philly cheesesteak. Um, you know, there was this really nice restaurant in Philly and, uh, they were trying to get to stand out. And so they said, what can we do to stand out? And they're like, well, Philly's known for its cheesesteaks. What if we created this super expensive cheesesteak that you get with a glass of champagne? Um, and, and they like became, fly the beef in from Japan. Like it's actually, yeah. it's actually worth a lot more. Maybe might not be worth a hundred fifty bucks. It's yeah, it's legitimately like it worth a lot more. But it's yep. look at how much free press they got out of it. Look at and the, and I guess you're right of like they they didn't just take something off their existing menu. They actually invented something that would yes. stand out as a result, right? Yeah, and so that's what I would say is like you know uh, unexpectedness doesn't just have to be in the product. It can also can can be, you know, what's an unexpected way we can market this? What's an unexpected way to create a new business model around this? Um, you know, you see this every big hit uh, in the tech world has really followed that model of they approach a problem and do it in an unexpected way, whether that's the iPhone, the iPod. Um, you know, the iPhone's a great example because, again, it was like all it is is a music player, a phone, and the internet, and we have devices that do all three of those things, but it was the new combination uh, that really made the difference and created the unexpectedness of that product. And so 
um, you know, whenever you're doing marketing, uh, whenever you're trying to uh, think about how to pitch investors, I've um, uh, a person from BYU named Mick Hagan. Uh, I've actually never met Mick, but we've emailed back and forth. And he, in pitching investors, he was kind of tired of uh, doing it the way everyone else was doing it. So um, he hired David Peterson, who I talked about earlier in the uh, in the discussion, and David created a beat for him, and he created a, a unique rap to every single investor and like wrote this rap to Ashton Kutcher about uh, their product and, and what it was like and then posted those online, and everyone then forwarded them to the investor. Like he didn't even <laughs> have to do anything. Because he just had this unique approach and he put himself out there and he was willing to uh, be creative and not get stuck in kind of doing the same old, same and old. It, did it work? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he got meetings with everybody. Everyone thought it was like super awesome. He raised money, um, raised a lot of money and, and is still, uh, you know, a, an amazing entrepreneur. But he was willing to say, what's a unique way of approaching that? Yeah. It wasn't creating a product. It was just like, I want investors to actually listen um, and I want them, to, I want to break through the noise and what's, how could I do that? Well, I'm going to write a rap song to each of them that was yeah. like very, very individualized for each of them. Okay. So, so we're working on this program right now, uh, at child rescue. We're trying, we, we put a down payment on this aftercare orphanage with a Canadian charity and a Peruvian charity together. And, and now we want to raise the money to build an extra building so we can help a bunch of kids that are basically in the equivalent of like jail they're they're actually victims but the government didn't know what to do with them so they're in jail the government said if you build a bigger building we'll let them out of jail and you can actually like help them with their PTSD, right so yeah. like literally yesterday we just sent filmers to peru with our drone and our red camera and stuff so we should get some good stories of the kids um, yeah. but if we wanted to do something other than just the you know the video you expect from charities or something any any advice of like an exercise we should be going through to try and find our unexpectedness or attracting people to want to be a part of, you know, coming down to Peru and helping building the thing or donating to help build it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this is really applicable. I I don't even think I've told you this yet, but I, I also have my a charity. Um, no, and, what is it? We're kind of. Yeah. So it's it's called Special Needs for Speed and, and we build high, uh, highly custom bikes uh, for children with severe disabilities. Hmm. Um, so we've partnered with Shriners Hospital um, in Salt Lake City, and we found out in doing this that there were tons of kids throughout the U.S. with very severe disabilities, cerebral palsy, who need bikes for therapy, uh, and also bikes just to feel normal. Um, you know, a lot of these kids have to sit and watch while you know their siblings and friends go play outside. Is there, uh, is there a website for it? Yeah, so it's specialneedsforspeed.org. Okay. Um, we'll put a link on the and, site too. And so we're kind of going through that same process of like, you know, how do we, uh, how do we promote ourselves in, in a unique way? So the exercise I would go through, um, and I'd love to have more discussions about this, is how do you put people in, in that emotion and how do you create that emotion? Because I have never felt what it's like to – uh, to be a victim of sex trafficking. Uh, that problem has not hit home for me um, where it's hit home for you, and that's why you're so passionate about it. And so how do you create that emotion and, and create in a very unexpected way uh, a video that that gets people to feel it um, and to see it for real? So is that, um, you know, kind of there's tons of these where, where people go and, and prank people. Uh, and it's kind of like almost like a real life prank where uh, people are going and what's it like to have someone in your family kidnapped for sex trafficking. Um, but that's what I would really look at is how do you get people? Because I think even like John Berger, one of my favorite quotes from him is when we care, we share. And so the question is always, how do you use unexpectedness to get people to care? It is a good uh, it is a good point though. Like I think about my my wife did a video for this last undercover rescue mission that we yeah. helped we helped fund. And um I think people just hearing the story that it was her mom. Like you you know, she's this pretty blonde girl, not the story you expect when you like mentally think about like, you know, the movie Taken or whatever, right? And you like yeah. the seedy underbelly of 
Russian mafia, right, or whatever. And yeah, um, it is interesting though. You you know, it, it makes me think about like, yeah, how can we give them the like, here's your expectation. This is someone just like you, and then the unexpected of like, oh wow, that that happened in that family, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's really what it is. I mean, it's it's kind of like narrowing that distance from feeling. Um, I think this is something I see with all everyone who starts a charity, who starts a nonprofit, uh, has had it impact them in a personal way. I was actually born with a physical defect. I was born with club feet and at, at the age of six weeks old started to have to receive therapy at Shriners hospital in Utah, uh, in Salt Lake city. So this is actually where I was a patient as a child. And I've always wanted to figure out a way to give back, mm. uh, to them. And, and so I noticed that, that like everyone who has a nonprofit, it's always like, I always ask like, well, how have you been affected? And it always ties into their nonprofit. Like in some way they were affected by what happened. Um, PS, how much do I like this Spider-Man bike you made for the kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, anytime we build a bike, we always ask them who their favorite superhero is. And then we totally turn it into like this big, uh, we did just did one for a kid who was actually born in in the Congo, and was born without a his right leg is like one fifth the length of his left leg, which is a normal is a normal developed leg. And so he loves Batman, and we Batmaned it out and got him sunglasses. And um, so it's just amazing seeing it. It's such an awesome experience. And that's kind of like how do I get people to feel that when I go give that bike to that kid and the parents are crying and like we're emotional and like, it's such an amazing thing. How do I get people to feel that feeling so that they kind of break out of their shell? Same thing with, you know, what you guys are doing. It's such a huge problem, but the problem is we're stuck in a world. Most of us where we don't see the negative effects of it. We don't see the, the, the huge problem that it is. Um, and yeah, so we can kind of, it gets hidden in the dark, right? Or yeah, it gets yeah. called willing participation and, you know, yep. Yeah, right? exactly. And we live in a world that increasingly we can just kind of hide in our shell. Like, um, you know, you can order all your food and have it delivered to your house and you can, uh, you know, go to work and all your money's direct deposited and, and, <laughs> and you can just really build this shell. Yeah. Where it's like, I can go to work, hang out with my friends and never, leave my comfort zone and never see that there are huge problems in this world that need solving. Um, and entrepreneurs are, in my opinion, people who solve problems. And so, you know, I think all great entrepreneurs should have some way that besides just making money, they're trying to help the world besides just giving people jobs. And that's definitely very important and very noble, but like what's an actual way that you're giving back uh, which again goes back to Vivint. Like Vivint had, uh, Vivint gives back where they just always were helping people. Um, and and Todd and the, and the other executives actually, Keith Nellison, they always felt like they had a bigger uh, responsibility because of their blessings in their life to help people. And so I, I in watching them and seeing how they always did that, I I decided like I'm I'm gonna give back. Um, and so I think it's helping connect people with that emotion of. Yeah get outside your own little world and realize there's crap happening in the world and someone needs to fix it. So, <laughs> well, and you know, I like photography. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a visual artist by training, right? Art school dropout yeah. before getting into yeah. finance. Uh, there's obviously the spoken word or, or writing can be effective, but video has amazing, probably the highest, in my opinion, the highest capacity to create emotion, you know? Yeah, we're we're kind of out of time here. Um, I feel like we should do another episode just about nonprofit. <laughs> have you back on? Yeah, but, um, I'm in. For people who for people who want to have you help them, uh, where where can people be reaching out to you if uh, if they want to talk to you about having your skill set, um, you know, work for their company? Yeah. Um, so if you want to send me an email, that's probably the best way. Um, my email is the letter J then Davis, D-A-V-I-S, at Izeni, I-Z-E-N-I.com. Um, or you can just give me, uh, look, find me on Twitter. Like, I'm pretty pretty active on Twitter. Uh, and my, my handle's at J Nelson Davis. So, And before we wrap up, for people who don't know what Izeni is, tell us, tell us kind of the whole offering there. 
Yeah, so Izini um, is a development house. Uh, they develop software, everything from apps to websites to um, huge SaaS offerings. Um, they've built lots of great products here in Utah, and they're really kind of the hub of entrepreneurship and startups, especially in Utah Valley. Um, they're very involved with Startfest, Start Fest, uh, Start Studio, Beehive Startups have all kind of come out of Izini. And so they've just been so involved in the community. Um, and so after doing some other other projects, um, you know, we, I felt like it was a great place to be and and kind of help create. I'm working on creating uh, a new product offering uh, in the creative sphere for the, their clients and for new clients. So video marketing, um, you know, figuring out messaging. That's a lot of I think where my expertise is, is how do you tell the story the right way? And so, um, yeah, we we love working with startups and big companies and everyone in between. So love well, to talk to people. There's always such a focus on have something awesome, you know, have something better than the other guy. Yeah. But if people don't find out about it, it doesn't matter. You have something better. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the build better mousetrap problem where I, I talk to clients all the time and, and people who aren't clients that have a really great product that no one knows about. Um, and they, and they kind of initially think, and I think this is something we think often as entrepreneurs if I just make a better product, people will talk about it and people will share it. Uh, and then they do it and, you know, they build it and people don't come. Um, and they really do, like, legitimately have an amazing product. Like, I always am given these their products and, and I use them for a while and I'm like, this is amazing. Like, how do people not know about this? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's communicating it, the, it in the right way. And, and um, I love using virality to kind of help make that happen and. Um, it's a great, great community to be in here in Utah. There's a lot of amazing guys doing really cool stuff. So, yeah, I just saw a great, uh, Buzzfeed article today about, you know, why the Adobe's and eBay's and so many people are coming out from the Bay area out here. So, yeah, I um, just had someone text that to me. <laughs> That's okay. Awesome. Thanks for your time. We got to have you back. Uh, let's stay in contact. Yeah. Let me know. I'd, I'd be more than happy to. It was my pleasure. Okay, thanks so much. And that's the show. Thanks for listening today. Again, if you're interested in the bonus materials that we will be producing, make sure to come to our website and join the Ideation Collective while it's still free. The website, iCollective.co slash free. Again, iCollective.co slash free. And as always, if you want to learn more about getting involved in helping the team rescue kids from traffickers, please visit iCollective.co slash childrescue. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.